everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange we like to start by asking what are you thinking and this week we are going to be thinking about all things dermatology. So this is the start of our dermatology takeover month and today we are joined by Tori and by Sophie and we're going to be talking about the best way to work up your itchy patients in practice. So just to introduce myself, my name is Scott. I am uh, uh, one of the founders of ETX and I'm a specialist in small animal internal medicine. And we are joined as always by my pal and podcast producer, Karen. So I just, just we're so lucky and, and grateful to have Zoetis uh, sponsoring our podcast today and, and for the rest of this month. Uh, we just have to say that we're, we're chatting all things dermatology um, and, and our chat is going to be that combination of clinical and non, non-clinical chat from the beginning. So it's intended for members of the veterinary profession. And so we just have to say by continuing to listen, you confirm that that describes who you are. So with that being said, let's get into it. Okay, so I'm I'm excited about this for so many different reasons. I think particularly t- talking about dermatology for this whole month, I think is so outside my comfort zone and Karen's comfort zone. <laughs> We've never talked about dermatology before, Karen, have we? Don't think so. And so it's such a joy for us to be able to focus on this for the for 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 um for these episodes. But I think what I'm more excited about is the fact that I'm joined by two people who actually are (laughs) related to dermatology, but also I have a huge amount of story with as well. So I wanted to, first of all, start with Sophie, who I met like a long time ago, pal. Like this has been a while. Yeah, we go back. So we have known each other for a long time, mainly kind of seated in actually... um, organizing events as vet students together which uh, crazy and and actually we've kept in touch over the years through well just through being vets but also through your pets and and other mad things so I don't know if you just want to start by telling the listeners a little bit about you and how you've ended up doing what you're doing yeah absolutely yeah so uh yeah we go back uh many many years it's actually lovely you know that uh you know, we, we met each other as, as students and, uh, mm. and you know, we kind of kept up with one another, you know, throughout our, our years mm. as well ongoing. So I think it's lovely to now actually be on a podcast yeah. with you. I never thought it would come full circle like this. Yes. Um, <laughs> full circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so basically, you know, I, I uh, graduated back in 2007 from, from Glasgow um, and I've spent my first few years in practice in uh, companion animal practice, uh, being a first opinion veterinary surgeon um, in a variety of different roles. Um, I'm really passionate about internal medicine, uh, particularly immunology. Good. Um, good. Like, all good. Yeah, taking boxes. I'm taking all the boxes. This is why I was invited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm, I love all things science as well. So I really, I realized when I was in practice that I had a real passion for kind of education as well. And it kind of led me to look at my career and decide, you know, do I want to pursue a career, um, you know, in specialism um, or do I actually want to look at other opportunities? So I decided that, um, you know, industry would be, uh, you know, an avenue I'd like to explore. Um, and so I, you know, I took on a role with Zoetis and I've been with Zoetis now for the last seven and a bit years. So, um, wow. 
I do as well. I, st I still miss practice. You know, I do miss being in practice and I do, you know, try and keep my hand in and do the occasional Saturday shift in practice. I think. <laughs> a wee three hours Saturday, a wee three hours Saturday morning. A wee three hours here and there, <laughs> do any harm. Um, but no, I think it's because like, you don't, I don't want to lose all my clinical skills. Fine. You know, you've worked hard to, to hone them yes. and craft them, but I don't want them to be completely gone. No. Um, so it's important to kind of keep in, keep in touch with my roots. With your role with Zoetis, do you do you have a particular sort of dermatology focus? Is that kind of what your remit is? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think in, in Zoetis, you know, we have got quite a diverse portfolio. And, you know, for the last seven and a bit years that I've been with Zoetis, you know, I joined Zoetis when we were launching Oxitinib, um, Apoquel. Um, and, uh, you know, and then it's hot on the heels of Apple with Cytopoint. So really for a good number of years, our, our focus was was spent a lot on dermatology. And so, you know, with that, we get to meet fantastic, uh, you know, uh, specialists such as Tori. Um, oh, you're doing my job for me. You're doing my job for me. So, so then I don't even need to be here. So what, what's happening? So then, <laughs> so, so then that brings me on to introducing and again, Karen, this is one of our, the second time we've had two people, <laughs> we can't navigate this, two people <laughs> on the podcast. So then it, um, to introduce Tori, who actually also uh, we've, I suppose, known each other for quite a long time as well from that kind of same vintage. I know. And it's funny, isn't it? How I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, like, I mean, it's a small world and actually you know obviously we are connected actually in so many different ways where you know Andy of VTX and my husband of my husband fame <laughs> works with you now but also Graham and Helen you know good friends of you who who we are also you know there's just so many different ways that people are connected which is I think also nice you know so but having said all of that you are dermatology extraordinaire so I don't know if you can maybe just introduce yourself to the listeners a little bit if that's okay I don't know if I'd go for the complete extraordinaire but um, oh, no, I'm, I'm doing that we're doing that we're doing that all right oh, we're going with that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. it, I'll go with it. Uh, my name's Tori Robinson I graduated in 08 from Edinburgh I did an intercalated BSc which I finished in 2005 went into mixed practice I never anticipated uh, going down a specialist route at all you know oh, I, was, I didn't know that that's interesting yeah, yeah no I I did mixed practice for three years and and it was proper 50 50 mixed practice and I just got to a point where I thought I'm not comfortable not knowing a lot of things about the same mm -hmm. species and it's mm -hmm. funny because you didn't I never left vet school with that sort of thought process at all in mind and it's a really big practice and nobody really liked skin and I didn't realize that I liked dermatology until I got into practice and all you end up seeing is vomiting and diarrhea in dogs mm -hmm. lots of boosters and lots of skin disease and yeah I think because I'd done my BSc and I'd spent a lot of time with the microscope at that point I maybe hadn't realized that those sort of um mm. that I'd really crossed over so then I went into small animal only practice for a little while then I did my internship I locumed for a short period of time I got a role at Edinburgh which is where Scott and I re-met again mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. not been in contact with each other for for a few years and mm -hmm. I worked with Tim Nuttall at Edinburgh for a year doing um, a colleague's maternity and then I went and spent a year with Sue Patterson at Rutland House and then I got my residency and, and finished that 2020 and boarded 2020 as well. 
You're going, I mean, just do it all. I mean, just smash it out. Just finish 2020, bore 2020. I, I wish I'd done that in such quick succession. I did not do that in such quick succession. <laughs> but that's pretty impressive. So where did you where did you do your residency again? So just where where was that based? So I did I did my residency with Hillary Hillary and Peter at Dermatology mm. Referral Service in Glasgow. So private clinic. Yeah. Only, you know, three now three specialists dermatologists which mm. doesn't exist in the uk outside of a, it's pretty of an cool. yeah. environment um so we're a really really busy clinic which is brilliant yeah. i really enjoy it um i hear about it every day <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> I get that feedback. Yeah, I get that feedback at dinner every night. Actually, so, <laughs> so, so yes, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm. No, I think it's it's really cool. And actually, I think actually that you know we kind of underestimate. But I think you're right to have, you know, three special. You know, you know, having that kind of um, set up in the middle of Glasgow. You know power to us here in scotland yeah. and uh, yeah i love it and um and and doing that you know th- th- that kind of only center outside of university i think that's really that's really cool and i think you should be all very proud of that i think that's a very um yeah it's a really cool thing and actually andy <laughs> to be fair you know we joke you know he's done lots of referral practice and, and first opinion practice but he truly loves working where he does now and i think that is testament to the people as well like and you know so it's a it, it, yeah it's a very cool setup so and, and possibly um, also the proximity to coffee shops oh god oh. do you are you do you so have you got the starbucks obsession i mean we're obsessed right yeah i mean it's <laughs> i will i have always had a coffee addiction you know until you met andy morning <laughs> a pot of coffee but i feel that andy it's makes gone up a level well, it makes me feel like mine isn't quite as severe as I thought it was. No, ours, is, <laughs> ours is bad. Ours is bad. Anyway, <laughs> so that's, I love, love that. Uh, love but it. he's, yeah, obsessed. Anyway. Okay, so I think um, we're, we've got we've got this amazing kind of podcast journey to go on through this month. But I think we're starting in a really um, uh, good place. So we're starting to talk about the, the workup of the pyritic or itchy patient. And I think this is, for me, again, uh, you know, I am interested to talk about this because I have so uh, little understanding of the best way to do things, I suppose, nowadays in my little pigeonhole. I'm over in this side, you know, just doing my thing with whatever, with cortisol or T4. And and so I've lost my sight on this this bigger picture. And, and I think what you said in, in your kind of introduction was really insightful you know, what do we see in first opinion practice? We see patients that are vomiting. We see patients that are di- with diarrhea, but we also see patients that are really itchy a lot, you know, and for lots of different reasons. So I think that I wanted to kind of start with focusing on a couple of things, because I think what we want to be mindful of is there's always the gold standard way to do something. So there's always the, if we had all the time and money and whatever else in the world we would do something this way but actually in in the reality of 10 minutes and not that much money and the stress of everything else that's going on there's another side to that investigation so I don't know Tori if you want to kind of uh, maybe just start by talking about kind of as far as the itchy patient what our kind of gold standard approach to that patient would be from a diagnostic point of view 
So actually, it's quite interesting when we use the word gold standard in dermatology because oh, okay. <laughs> actually, no, 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 not in a negative way, in a way that dermatology is not something that's particularly difficult to do, especially not necessarily in general practice. You just need to have the time and that's where the problem comes from in, in general practice is actually having the time because the kit is not expensive for the vast majority of things that you need to do in practice. You, the equipment's not incredibly difficult to use or you've just got to have confidence with using it, I think. And, and this is sort of, I have a little bit of a obsession about talking about certain things, which unfortunately everybody in the podcast is going to realise quite soon. Does it begin with C and end with ology? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that like, right? Cytology. Yeah. I'm constantly banging that drum, constantly banging that drum. I think in terms of doing a really good job in, in general practice, you know, time to take a good history, do a good clinical exam. And actually those things don't cost very much money apart from obviously your time. But then the next stage of your investigation is cytology, because actually you can look at a lesion that looks like it's got a, a patient that's got a bacterial pyoderma. You do cytology on it, it's covered in malassezia. So if you had reached for antibiotics, you wouldn't have had a clinical improvement because actually you, you're not treating the right sort of infection that's there. So what you end up getting is you get a patient that comes back as pretty as it was the, la the last time you saw it. So you reach for something else and you the cycle just ends up repeating itself whereas actually if you get cytology early on in, in seeing a case you actually know what infections are and you know what you're what you're dealing with and i think probably the the best way to approach a patient in general practice is the paritic patient with lesions mm -hmm. and the paritic patient without lesions and that's probably the best way of actually separating how you're seeing something so what do you so okay so that's interesting so what so the itchy patient is clearly a, a thing so we see lots of patients that are itchy mm. what what do you mean by le with lesion and without lesion what what do you mean by that so in terms of without lesions would be patients that have got lots of saliva staining so that mm. would be almost your classical westy which was always your sort of poster child for atopic dermatitis it'd be with brown paws with brown paws, quite, <laughs> yeah. a, pink, quite a pink dorsum, mm -hmm. a little bit of cerumen esotitis. Um, and nowadays really is is probably your poster child is probably the Frenchie, um, where they don't tend to have a huge amount of, of lesions. And then your, your patients with lesions tend to be things like staphies, which often end up with sort of interdigital nodules or um mm -hmm. papules pustules something that's draining so your your non-lesional patients are your ones that are a little bit red a little bit scaly lots of saliva staining and then your lesional patients are your ones that have got discharge pouring out of the ears or they have papules pustules draining tracts nodules you name it that sort of whole shebang and and your differential list is, in, is incredibly complex depending on what presentation you've got and then what age of patient you have and then you can narrow it down quite quickly once you start taking your history so i think so i think this is and this is something that i say like we talk about a lot you know there nothing um nothing really substitutes a, a good history and physical exam so what 
tell me then what in the history of these patients is are are key things that you're going to be drilling down on like are we are we talking like seasonal stuff or like what what are the things that that make the difference from a history taking point of view so i think regardless of whether or not they've got lesions i think knowing your signalment is is really important where did it start what did it look like when it started and where has it started to go to Mm. so if you started off with something like I don't know like a little bit of erythema of the, of the pinna and all of a sudden you've got a closed down ear that's got a huge amount of black discharge and that happened and it's one year and it started on a Sunday and it's now the Friday your differential list is going to be a lot different for a patient that has that presentation versus a patient that has had erythematous peritic ears for years and years and years and is just not responding appropriately to treatment so I think for me those sort of things are, are, are really important to get in a history is how has it started what did it look like how is it progressing what does it look like now if you're not the first bet to see it the next question is how did it get on with the last set of treatment mm. yeah it's having that time and I was in general practice for probably in total five and a half, six years. And mm. you know exactly what it's like. You know, my, my first job was, was open consult. So mm. you opened the door and you shut the door at seven o'clock at night yeah. and you kept seeing people until, <laughs> until they were all just, you, you opened the door, saw the waiting room and just shut the door and went away because you were like, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There was I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> so I remember um, one of our, actually one of our VTX members, Sarah, who... I saw practice with when I was a vet student, um, full circle. And literally I remember she was like, so we just, we're just going to open the door. And I was like, what? And, and literally just this room full of people and you just take the first one in. I was like, we can't be working like this anymore. Anyway, <laughs> so, so Sophie, what, what, I suppose the question then is, we're talking about the kind of, sorry, I hate to say gold standard. I, I want to find a substitute, but we're talking about gold standard, but it's a bit obnoxious. So we're talking about the best scenario, you know, good history, whatever else. So wh why then, Sophie, in reality, is this, why is this falling by the wayside? And what's happening in reality with these consultations? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can I can give you some of my thoughts on this, you know, as experiences. Uh, as, 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 <laughs> yeah, from my own experiences here. So I, I definitely do think that there are some major challenges with time pressure for sure you know mm, like we totally. like you said 10 minutes 15 minutes to to take the history um you know and you know acknowledge the signalment alongside that but then also carry out our physical examination take our samples and then take a look at those then determine what's actually going on and then figure out what we're going to prescribe to manage it and then all along with along beside that is also managing that client's expectation as well which is you know quite a tall order in that sort of 10 minutes that you have but I think there's also other things to kind of acknowledge with it as well um, I think certainly there there's a third party in this in this conversation we have the pet who's vet. that who what pet owner oh yeah them okay yes <laughs> Karen's like what who's the third party like you know let's just ignore the owner and focus on the pet <laughs> No, well, but it's funny actually because, well, no, you, you make a really good point. And I think obviously our focus is always the animal, but actually having Karen 
on the podcast is funny because she is um, not a vet or a vet nurse or a veterinary professional and is actually a pet owner. And and I've treated her pets before, so I feel that... <laughs> I feel that pressure, <laughs> Karen. Um, so, so, but it's so true, though. I think you're right. Like, I think... And actually, when it comes down to treating any condition... So we talk about, you know, the, the pet, which is the, obviously our number one, and us and the way that we are dealing with it. But actually managing owner expectations is a massive part of this. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, we're, we're all pet owners here. And if you yes. think about how compliant <laughs> we are as individuals with yes. our own pets, I think you can then really start to see the challenge that we face as professionals in practice and Absolutely, like you said, Scott, you know, it's it's not, this is not exclusive to dermatology, no. you know, this uh, across the board in, in every discipline. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think, yeah, recognizing that, you know, we have a, a third party, the pet owner that essentially has to, you know, carry out whatever, whatever treatment that we've prescribed and, and be compliant with it so that we're giving the treatment the best possible chance of working. Um, yeah, so I think, I think there's that. I think for me personally, I think vets, generally know when it comes to the workup what they should be doing you know like the approach that we should be taking with these pets arthritis I think the kind of realities of how we do it can be really challenging um you know so like with all the the, the things I mentioned previously um and so for me I thought you know with with you know taking the approach of working up pretty patient you know so we want to look at parasites and and rule out parasites so we'll we'll maybe take some tape preps, we might uh, do a skin scrape. Um, And I think all vets are familiar with that. We might then prescribe a treatment that feels appropriate or a trial therapy, um, because there's lots lots to choose from. Um, When we get to cytology, we might maybe take take a few samples. Um, There may be some some of us that are maybe not as confident with looking at the samples. Um, You know, there might be some of us that maybe don't do it routinely, so we kind of lose lose our skills with that. Um, so yeah, so I think cytology can be quite challenging. Again, fitting that into a 10 minute consultation. We've talked about the history and physical exam tour. When does cytology come into the mix? So you've taken a good history, you've done a really good physical exam, you know, you've looked at the distrib- distribution of lesion, non-lesion, itchy, red bits, whatever. I'm simplifying. It's, it, this is from an internal medicine point. I'm sorry. I, I call it, Angie's going to kill me. I'm sorry. I'm trying I'm trying my best. <laughs> red bits. <laughs> red bits. Um, That's all you're saying. Sorry. But you've done all of that really good stuff, which we all should be doing regardless of specialism, you know, from the beginning. When does cytology come into the decision-making or the, the the process? Yeah, as soon as I've looked at the patient, that's the first, the next thing I do, you know, Andy will okay. sort of say that. I, I sit there, you know, I'm, I'm examining, you know, having a chat with the dog as well, because I always tell them what I'm doing to them as I'm doing it. They don't understand. I'm telling you. So- I'm just like, I'm just having a little... They hate you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Sorry. Carry on. Anyway. Yeah, no, you, as, as soon as I finish looking at them, I'll get my cytology. You know, you don't know until you look under the scope if, if that area of erythema is bacterial overgrowth, if it's a pyoderma or if actually it's malassezia dermatitis. And, you know, Sophie sort of said your treatment is going to vary between the two of them. And in some ways now, with us really using topical treatment as the, as the first line for the vast majority of the patients we see, maybe in some ways it doesn't matter as much, but actually 
for me, I still want to know, is that bacterial pyoderma or is that malassezia dermatitis? Because I'm going to do cytology in my patients every time I see them because I want to know, are they pyritic now because they've got infection or are they pyritic because of, you know, if they're atopic, is it actually their underlying allergy? And you you just don't know otherwise without without doing cytology. Just to be clear, so if they're, if they're atopic and you do cytology, and just to be also mm-hmm. to clarify... When you say cytology, you're talking about kind of like a sellotape type preparation or is that is that really? Yeah, just a, just a tape prep. So five, six presses, erythematous area, you know, if it's if it's on the digit, sellotape's great because it's really malleable. So it okay. doesn't, you know, you there's a lot to be sort of said about impression smears of really of sort of wet or exudative areas. Great. But in most other places, getting sellotape prep is, is, is more than what you need. So literally sell it. Yeah. Sellotape onto a slide. And then looking at that, so if you were to look at a sellotape prep from an atopic patient, what would you see? So it's either going to be nothing on there, a little bit of malassezia, hitching in malassezia, a little bit of bacteria, hitching in bacteria and neutrophils, or the whole shebang. You know, there's a patient I saw the other day and it was absolutely covered in malassezia and bacterial pyoderma. So it, de- it depends on what you're going to see. But I think a couple of quick tips with doing cytology especially when you've got time pressure put one drop of your basophilic stain from your from your diff quick or your rapid diff whichever modified Romanovsky stain is in your clinic one drop put the cell you know you've got your slide drop your drop of purple stain on there put your bit of tape over the top and immediately look at it it's going to be dark color oh on over the cell tape no underneath the cell tape so on top of the slide, under the cell tape. So hold on. So <laughs> let's just clarify. So you're you're taking a glass slide. You're putting the yep. blue Romanovsky stain on the slide. You're putting the yep. cell tape on top of that. And yep. then are you putting the whole lot with the cell tape under your microscope? Yeah. Oh, so literally right. put your tape on, put your tape on, and then just kind of squish it out. Oh, nice. Squish out. It's going to look really purple, but you're you're more than you know. If you need if you need to do something quickly, and and that's okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm learning so much. Right, okay. So, so can I just really? uh, can I just give a shout out to the word hooching there? I love I love the use of the term hooching. Hooching. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Sophie. For appreciate that. Uh, yeah, because we both live in we we both live in deepest darkest Scotland, so that's good. So <laughs> so we appreciate. Hooching. Um, okay, so I think all of this is really great. And I think that when we talk about in practical terms, doing these sellotape preparations and, 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 you know, brilliant, and you can really make some good decisions about your patient. We've alluded to this a little bit, but Sophie, I, I wonder, again, just the reality of this. So I want, I suppose the, the important thing from all of this discussion is that we are speaking to people that know a huge amount about dermatology, but at the end of the day, how do we make this really practically applicable to people in general practice who have very little time? So where where are the areas that there's been there's a disconnect or a difficulty in doing all of these things? Do you mean from the, the, the perspective of kind of time constraints that we face in practice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so we have this ideal of of good history, good physical exam, which is a given, obviously looking at cytology, but but w- w- where do kind of people fall down here so what what are your do you have any top tips about how we can do better in a day-to-day setting Mm -hmm. to 
work up our dermatology patients in a better way yeah well I think I think Tori hit on something there as well you know about you know the fact that she uh, talks to the the dog um <laughs> and also the pet owner as um as she's uh, taking the samples and I think so you can kind of multitask that if you like you know take take your history as you're obtaining your samples and examining the patient as well just to kind of streamline that process down I think for me as well, you know, I, I guess I had the challenge and I, I still have the challenge when I'm doing my occasional Saturday shift of, you know, I, I enter the consult room and I'm a very particular person and I like where things are and I like my things to be in their places. I never, I never got that from you, but okay. <laughs> right. I, yeah, yeah. Yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> so I, I always make a point of when I arrive, uh, you know, in, in practice to kind of make sure I've got everything ready, you know, and it's a very simple thing and it seems really obvious, but I um, I they have a little derm box that has everything in it. Um, so like I always make sure that I open the derm box because, you know, if I'm in on a Saturday, sometimes there's no microscope slides in it or things like that. There's no tape there. So making sure I've got everything in the box ready to rock and roll because as we said at the very beginning, dermatology is so common in practice. Like every single day, we're going to be seeing a dermatology, a paritic patient that's going to need, uh, you know, a, a workup being done. Um, so having all your kit there ready to go is is fantastic. Um, I think as well, it's, you know, it's, it's just being kind of realistic about this, that we are going to have to get the pet back to, to re-examine and to, to follow this up. And there have been occasions as well where I've just kind of made a decision that actually this is going to take a lot longer. So discuss with the owner about maybe admitting the pet at some point, you know, when you check the diary so that you can take the pet in and give it the time it needs. And I think, you know, a lot of owners are really happy for you to do that because you're really investing your time with their pet mm -hmm. and, uh, and it gives them confidence mm -hmm. in, in what you're doing mm -hmm. as well. We can only do so much in the constraints of a consultation and whether it's the the luxury that we have an, an hour with our referral medicine patients I'm sure similar with you Tori but but you know but I also have worked in the PDSA where we have seven and a half minutes per consult you know so I think it's about working within your different situation but actually I think that's a really nice thing Sophie to say that that there's no shame in saying well actually this requires more time. Mm -hmm. So we might have to book this in for another thing that is actually more time consuming for a very good reason, you know? So I think actually almost paying tribute to that, like this is not straightforward. We need time to look at this. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, I'm almost thinking about it like a the way you would book in an operation or, or a procedure like that. Like why not yeah. book in the same amount of time for dermatology because it's just as important and actually requires the same amount of time right yeah I think it's it's about you know you kind of want to alleviate that time pressure yeah. it's trying to find the outlet and giving yourself some breathing space and I think I mean the other thing for me and it's kind of maybe more of a personal thing but you know one of the joys I suppose is you know when I was taking samples cytology samples you know ultimately I would have to look at them after the owner had left you know and I always mentioned to the owner that I would phone them and let them know what those results were that I could see on the slide and I have to say because you know it's so busy in practice and actually sitting in front of the microscope with a cup of tea was like the best breather you know it was just like it's and breathe and uh you know health and safety are you allowed to do that <laughs> 
is that allowed? Do you know what's amazing though? Because like I, I, you know, when you're looking down the microscope, um, mm. and again, it's a, just a, it's a kind of an observation, really. Um, nobody distracts you. They, they like, oh, Sophie's busy. We'll just leave her with oh, it. Oh, she's doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's doing something, and I'm like, I'm, really I'm, important. I am doing something really important, but I'm also like, thank goodness, I can have a wee cup of tea, and just collect yeah. myself, and yeah. So Tori, I think my question then is, so we've talked about kind of the benefits of 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 doing all these things, history, physical exam, you know, obviously cytology. Two, two questions. So first of all, that cytology, which we're, we're, we're kind of really advocating, how does that actually affect your decision making? So yeah, I get. I guess it's kind of why you're doing this. If you know when we sort of said originally, you know, if you're going to use a topical first instance, does it matter if you've got a pyoderma, you've got a malassezia dermatitis, and it affects your decision making because obviously, if you see it back three weeks later and you repeat your cytology, and actually what you're seeing is completely different, you might go down a different route with the patient, if that makes sense. So say that you saw that it had a bacterial pyoderma and you send it home with, with topical treatment, but then it comes back and it's got a malassezia dermatitis, or you originally saw it and it had a malassezia dermatitis and it's a really aggressive dog, you're not gonna send that home with topical therapy. So if you see a patient that's got malassezia dermatitis and you send it home with systemic antimicrobials, well, actually it's not gonna do anything because you've given it an antibiotic and actually you'd be much better off giving it an, an oral antifungal. Um, and I think one thing that is very, important in dermatology is communication and communicating with the client as to what they can manage and what their life is like and what the patient is like because if you see a dog in it in the practice that's really terrified of everything you're doing with it is it just because it's like that at the vets and it's actually totally fine at home or is an abject horror at home and, and I think it's really important you you find that out and that's part of why cytology is going to affect your decision making it'll affect anything that I'm going to do with my patients, you know, and also it's going to affect what the numbers are like. If you look down the microscope and it's completely awash with malassezia and then the next time you see it back, there's like one plus malassezia there. You could go, okay, so actually maybe the reason why it's paritic now isn't necessarily just associated with the malassezia and it's associated with the, with the underlying disease. I think the other thing I was going to add about the whole chat about cytology is confidence. You know, this is mm. definitely something that is practice 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 yeah. and I had a conversation not that long ago with another dermatologist and um, his daughter came in and we we're having a wee chat this is when you can go into people's houses actually so this might have been like October people's time houses what, what are you t- what, what are you talking I about know. what I know honestly Homes? it's a crazy crazy concept and then um, his daughter sort of said oh God, I've got a piano lesson. I really don't like my piano lessons. And this was complete news to him because as far as he was aware, she was loving her piano lessons. And she went, no, no, I just want to be able to play really well. And the two of us just looked at each other and just started peeing ourselves mm-hmm. laughing because it, it's so true. So You've got to put that practice mm-hmm. in to be able to actually yeah. do the job well and to be able to do it quickly. And when I first started in practice, I used to take the cytology samples. I used to look at them, write down what I thought it was send the lab, the samples off to the lab and then compare the report that came back. And that's how I learned to do cytology. That, the BSAV Derm Manual, there's a cytology book. I was then really lucky that I worked with two nurses that loved Derm. 
and you could really you honestly there'd be like two of you consulting and one of you passing out slides and they would nip upstairs look at it while you're finishing off looking at the patient and then run back down the stairs and sort of there's loads of cocky or there's some cocky and there's some rods and that you know especially with with ear cytology if you've got lots of rods on your ear cytology it's massively going to change what topical product you're going to take off the shelf Sophie then what would you say so we've 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 kind of talked about this kind of gold standard approach then time cytology history clinical exam what is the impact of not working up skin cases properly what's what's the other side of that if we don't do that right what what are the implications of that yeah, I think I think it's again linked to kind of what what Tori was saying. I think that it's it's always good to know what you're dealing with, you know, um, so that you can prescribe appropriately. And and also again going back to that that piece of of managing owner expectation, you know, you can do that, you know, but you know better, I guess, um, when you know what you're dealing with and be able to kind of give a you know a sort of a prognosis of sorts, if you like, as to what you would expect to see uh, should you prescribe uh, X or Y treatment. I think that, you know, ultimately, you know, from, from my line of work and in, in my current career, um, you know, it's, it's important to make sure that we're prescribing appropriately um, and giving treatments the best possible chance to work, you know, because often if we prescribe something like, like Tori said, if we prescribe a, an antibiotic when it's actually, you know, malesthesia, infection ultimately that's not going to work um, and you're going to have uh, a pet that still comes back to you with the you know perhaps even worse than it was before because it's progressing um, but also you know there's the there's the cost element as well you know that you're prescribing a treatment that the owner's paying for and ultimately it's, it's not going to do the job so it's about you know getting the best out of the the treatment and, and you know treating the, the patient appropriately to get the outcome you're looking for um, as well as client satisfaction. So there's a lot <laughs> bundled in there, but a lot's riding on it, I suppose. No, a lot, but a lot's riding on it. But one of the things I always come back to, and this this is the same for me, Tori, with my my work, is that, for instance, you know, we have a lot of patients with chronic gastrointestinal disease that will be very food responsive. So if you prescribe chronic IBD in adverse commas, with an appropriate diet, they will, over 50% of them, will probably get better with diet alone. And there are some of your patients, correct me if I'm wrong, where actually the prescription of a diet will solve the problem. But I I always find that's quite a hard sell. Like, I think it's difficult to say to, to clients, if you put your dog in this diet for six weeks all your problems will go away and they'll be like, oh, I can't, no, nah, I can't be bothered with that. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, that's a massive barrier. To, no, it's true, Karen. It's true. No, I believe <laughs> it. it. Really no, I, you, I believe it. But if you, you come to a specialist of dermatology or until medicine or whatever, and the conclusion is just feed it this. And they're like, what? Like, did I pay all that money for that? My dog's not going to like that. I know. Uh, <laughs> My I dog's know. not going to like But it's true, though. So <laughs> I, I, do you find that as well, though? Like, when you're making that recommendation that there's a barrier to that? From my point of view, with, with patients that have got atopic dermatitis, as I always say, look, multiple things can look like atopic dermatitis. But 
if the age is right, the signalman right, is right. We're going to rule out infections. We're going to rule out parasites, and we're going to rule out fight cause, food because ultimately this is a diagnosis of exclusion. Mm. We've not got an infection. We've not got parasites. You've got a dog that's itchy all year round. The allergy you want is a food allergy because actually food allergy is the one thing that we can cure as dermatologists in terms of atopic dermatitis. So everything else is about management because you have got this is a disease where 50% of the reason you have it is associated with your genetics. We can't fix that whole component. You know, that's, that's not something we can fix and it's going to be a management disease. And so actually I find that the food bit isn't always a hard sell by the time they come to see me. But what the problem has been is often the amount of investigation that's been done for me to say, I can't tell you what your dog's allergic to because actually you just need to feed this diet. Because at the moment, as you know, we do not have a reliable in vitro food test. If we did, dermatologists would be singing it from the hilltops, from the glens, from wherever you want it to be. But from we the, don't have from that. The glens. <laughs> glens. Well, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to put that in. There's four of us on this. We're going to go with it. But honestly, I think especially especially with our patients, maybe 10 to 15% of them that we see are purely food allergic. And then up to another 25, 30% are going to have food as part of their skin disease. So you can improve the clinical signs by a margin or by a significant proportion just using diet, but they might also then still have a seasonal flare. You still might need to manage the underlying environmental allergy, but it is hard when you sort of say, so you've got to feed this food, and water and then the next thing is all right so can these can they still get their dental chew can they still get this can no. they still get that and i just i'm i'm really i'm just like they can get this food and water nothing else passes the lips you know no worming nothing like that so then to 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 come on to our kind of our closing thoughts what would you say your uh, Sophie, your top tips were regarding the kind of, you know, we're talking on this occasion about the pruritic patient. What are your top tips about the pruritic patient? Yeah, I think I've already um, sort of touched upon some of the top tips about, you know, having my pedantic nature of having things organised and ready in the consult room. Get the box sorted. <laughs> Get your box sorted. Um, <laughs> I think the other thing I think, you know, as you were talking there, Scott, was for me as well that, you know, you know, in practice, we're a team. You know, we're, we work as a team. And I think, you know, Tori touched upon this before as well, that, you know, one of her experiences was that, you know, she you had, had a, a fantastic, you know, nursing team that supported her. And I also share a similar experience where, you know, in, in one practice I worked in, I had a fantastic lab nurse. It was a luxury, but she was excellent. You know, she, you know, you would take your sample, hand it to her. She would, you know, stain it up have a quick look and, and sort of tell you what she found. Um, and that for me was amazing. So even if it's the case of, um, you know, if, if one of your colleagues and nurse stains a sample for you, so it's ready for you to look at, amazing, it's, you know, it's fantastic. So I think working as a team with this, um, with your Durham cases is also a really important part. I think that's a really important sentiment regardless. Like I just think, yeah, I mean, that's what we should be doing. Anyway, we, no, you know. we've got such a highly, t highly skilled team, especially with our nurses. And it's mm -hmm. it's crazy we, we don't utilize them to their full sure. potential. 100%. Yeah, it's true. So, Tui, what would your 
top tips be, do you think? Other than a time machine, which gives you a little bit more. And <laughs> I would say one of the best things you can do is put your microscope in a place that you're going to use it. I love that. Get it, dust it off, take it out of the cupboard. Dust it off. Like, but but it's true. But when I when I used to say like we we, I used to lecture about blood pressure or multi-parameter. I said the first step is to find it. Where is it? Yeah. Where is where is that Doppler blood pressure monitor? Because you don't use it because you don't know where it is. <laughs> it's in a dusty cupboard because you don't use it because you don't use it. You don't use it because it's in a cupboard because you don't use it. Like that's the problem. <laughs> it's true. I think um, just just to add one other one other thing, just because I was you know the passion from Tory, it's you know Zuda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think also for me personally, it's just have a go, have a go at taking cytology. You know, just just take the samples and have a go. Look at the, look at it down the microscope. And I had to practice, uh, you know, and I still have to practice. And uh, I think for me, you know, I, I take the samples, I take a whole raft of different samples as well, just to, you know, cover all my bases, hedge my bets. Um, and just, you know, just have a go and start somewhere and, and keep going. I, I, you know, I never thought leaving vet school, I'd be doing this now. You know, if, if somebody spoke into my 20 something year old self saying, oh, you'll be a dermatology specialist when you're in your 30s, I'd have been like, <laughs> yeah, no. Here you are. And actually, that brings me on to another point that I was going to... So initially, ladies, this is meant to be just a, a sort of sort of clinical segment as part of a, a, a bigger podcast, but it's turned into a much uh, longer, better, amazing podcast, which we will almost certainly just put out as a huge thing. I, I feel like I have to pay tribute to the fact that we've had a great conversation and I have to ask you some of the questions that we ask all of our podcast guests so I hope this is off the cuff and I hope you're okay with this but I really it's really important I think it's really important that we do ask this so let's start with Sophie so I I, I want to ask you Sophie if you were talking to the listeners that are younger professionals within our profession who are listening what one piece of advice would you give to them who are listening don't be afraid to ask for help and support in, in the practice. You know, when you're first starting out, especially, you know, there's a lot for you to sort of take on board. It's such a, you know, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to put everything you've learned from vet school into, into practice. And the decision is now yours to make. Um, so it can, for, for, for many of us, feel really overwhelming. Um, and there is really good to kind of just, you know, reach out and, and and don't be afraid to you know to, to ask for for some help and for support and I think it goes two ways as well is to recognize when others might need you to, to ask them how, how they're doing and and you know if you do see that in others so I think yeah it's it, it like I keep coming back to the fact that you are a team you know no matter what your job role is in the practice you you all are a team you all matter and um, so yeah if you if you see something another just yeah don't don't be afraid to you know Ask them if they're okay. Make them a cup of tea or coffee. Oh, I love that. Make them a cup of tea. Make, it's made better. You know, when somebody makes you a cup of tea, I think that is yeah. the loveliest thing. It's one of the best gestures you can make in the practice. Oh. It's a simple gesture, but I think it means a lot. So getting quite emotional with that one. That's made me feel oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I, do you know, but it's these moments that I love because I actually, that makes me a bit emotional as well because I think 
it's very simple but it's actually i think you're absolutely you're totally right like i think that is yeah that makes a huge amount of of difference to someone's day for sure uh, yeah good answer love that good answer um so tori then i turn to you you've had time to think now so you've got i'm gonna ask you <laughs> so you've had time to think my question then is for people listening that would be maybe looking for that little bit of advice or that little nugget of wisdom that you could maybe share with them as younger the younger you the 16 17 18 year old you what would you have said to them I think my younger leaving vet school per you know if I could speak to that person batch cooking I would do it. Oh, is that literally what we're? Is that our conclusion? Batch cooking? Yeah. I, mean, sorry, I have I I have this like really strict script of like, let's talk about itchy skin, and now we're on batch cooking. Okay, good. good I think <laughs> if if you're like if you're like me, if I don't eat, I'm a nightmare, right? Me too. So there's classic. There's nothing worse than coming in at half nine at night, finishing open surgery, and then just love it. I'm just gonna get pizza, and that is the that you can do to yourself so learn how to eat properly so I, I just love that and I feel that that's... I feel like that is a mic drop moment <laughs> <laughs> it's the end <laughs> so just to say a massive thank you to Sophie and to Tori for chatting today what a joy it has been we would like to thank you all for listening as always. Uh, we're so grateful for your support. Please do head over to our website for more information about VTX, which is www.vtx-cpd.com. And if you're on social media, then do head over to our social media platforms and give us a little like, follow and share. So that's us for our day one dermatology. We will look forward to seeing you next week for more dermatology fun. Bye.